the beginning of the job interview process, you're just a piece of paper. Another resume submitted for the gig. You get piled up with the other papers and before you even know it, you've been placed into one of two piles, the no's or the yeses. This is the show all about getting you into the yes pile. Hey, welcome to the Yes Pile, the show that helps you transform your professional persona to land you where else? In the Yes Pile of candidates for your dream job. I'm your host, Tessa Wolf. I'm a recovering corporate manager turned career coach. I've coached hundreds of professionals in my career and I've interviewed thousands more. And now I'm here to help you navigate this brave new world and to provide you with simple and actionable advice for success at any stage of your career. My goal, help you land your perfect job and then kick ass at it. So whether you're putting off drafting that resume, actively on the job hunt, navigating hurdles in your current role, or considering a complete career switch, I am here to share my best tips and tricks to position you for success. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Yes Pile. So today we are talking about the thing we've all been living in for a year now, that work from home life. Now, look, I know not everyone has been home over the past year, but for those of us who have been, has this not been one of the most exhausting working experiences of your life, right? Do you guys remember when this was all new, it was actually kind of exciting to work from home. We were kind of excited to not have to commute. We got that time back to sleep in a little more or get that morning workout in or just be since, let's face it, we were all, after all, in the beginning stages of a very scary global pandemic. But that aside, we were all actually kind of excited to not have to deal with the crazy office for a minute, that one annoying coworker or all the sad packed lunches. And at first, It was kind of fun to log on and see everyone on the video screen, right? We got to take that extra long lunch with the roommate or the kids because at that time, it all felt temporary and we were all in it together. And I will say for what it's worth, going through something as crazy as a global pandemic brought in a later of much needed humanity. At least I think so. There's like this new level of just human nature and compassion in our work. You know, we saw each other's kids or cats on the Zoom screen. You might've heard the dog bark during a CEO's company-wide status. People traded button downs for t-shirts. Nothing was perfect, but it was all very real and it all worked. And I don't know about you, but I loved that. And I truly hope that as we start to emerge from this, We can hold on to that kindness and compassion and humanity we've all embraced. A better understanding for people's lives outside of work and the recognition that people actually have a life outside of work. And I also love that we've recognized that work can happen anywhere. Studies have actually shown that companies did not lose productivity while everyone was working from home. In fact, many gained it. So I think we've collectively learned that you can be remote away from your company's headquarters and still contribute really big things that make an impact. And I also hope that's something we hold on to in the future, right? And that more job opportunities open up for people based in different cities than the company. And that this remote working provides greater opportunity to folks 
all across the country. It could be really valuable. So like, look, those are the things I love about the forced work from home, but let's really jump to the present. We have been at this for a year. That newness has worn off. We are tired. We are Zoom fatigued. The boundaries of office and home are gone. Things are wonky. We are all a little wonky. Are you starting to find yourself losing motivation? Are you maybe hitting that snooze button a few too many times? Losing track of where you are on a project in the middle of it? Or dreading that upcoming video conference? It's okay. We're all here together. I mean, guys, we are experiencing a collective emotional letdown. We've officially hit a wall. A year of extraordinary circumstances have led us to be worn out. And yes, this past year has been extraordinary in every way. A global pandemic, nonstop racial injustice unfolding on our TV screens, a heated political climate, and so much more have all left us feeling emotionally charged and drained and trapped. We are brimming with emotion and fear and uncertainty and dealing with a lot of things none of us have dealt with before. And yet, here we are, expected to operate as if it's business as usual. It's really crazy when you stop and think about it. And I just want you to hear this right now in case you haven't heard it yet. You have overcome so much more than you even know. Years from now, you're going to look back and go, how on earth did I do that? How did I keep myself, my family, and my job together in any way, shape, or form while the rest of the world was on fire? And I know it doesn't look perfect now. None of us are living that perfect life or even a glimpse of the life we lived before. And that's okay. You're still here. So as we look ahead, I know a lot of companies have started sharing return to office timelines, but a lot of them are still five to eight months away. That means, you guys, there is at least five more months of this. That's a long time. So as we're facing this feeling of exhaustion, but we also are in this reality of work from home for a minute longer, I think we really need to think about what can we do to get motivated again, get ourselves organized, and get productive. So today, we're going to talk through eight simple things you can start to do to help you master the art of working from home. And these are eight practical pieces of advice for maximizing your productivity, reinvigorating your motivation, I think we all need that, and also helping you manage to keep yourself sane all while continuing to work from the confines of your house. So let's dig in to these eight simple tips. So the first thing here, and this is one I really, really adhere to, number one, pretend it's a regular work day. Set an alarm and get up on time. Seems simple, right? I know it's not. Shower first thing. Get ready, get dressed, brush your teeth, brush your hair. If you wear makeup, put some on. 
Do all the things you would do as if you were heading into the office. Ditch the sweats, kids. It's time. You can do it. I know you've been living in yoga pants for a year, but we've got to try something new to get our brains back in the game. And the yoga pants will be there on Saturday, but today we're working. And let me just clarify, this is not about being camera ready. This is actually about triggering the muscle memory of preparing for work. Reenacting your regular morning routine is actually proven to trigger your brain to start to focus and prepare to tackle the tasks ahead. Studies have actually shown that simply by putting on makeup or doing your hair and then putting on clothes you feel confident in, your productivity increases drastically. It's kind of crazy, right? That our brain does that for us. So the first thing you can do to up your work from home game is make the first thing you do every day, getting up and getting ready. All right, number two, set business hours. So a big thing I think we're all feeling right now is that there is no real separation of work and home anymore. The workday is interrupted by real life. We've got kids, appointments, spouses, roommates, limited Wi-Fi, and your home is now your office. Laptops are open on the kitchen table. Emails are getting checked at bedtime. Work calls are happening while we make dinner. It's all very real. So let's try to wrangle it, right? For the sake of your sanity and productivity, the second thing you can do to really master working from home is set office hours. Now you may already work for a company that's done this for you and that's awesome. But if you don't and you are feeling on call 24 seven, it's time to set boundaries. Decide what the most effective working hours are for yourself and of course, that align with your company or your client's business hours. You don't want to set hours that are in conflict with the company policy or prohibit you from being available when people need you. That just won't work. But let's say, for example, you decide your working hours are 8.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. Now, what I want you to do is go into your calendar, whether it's Google or Outlook or whatever program you use, and block out the time before your start time for the day and after your end time for the day. You are off the clock during those hours. Blocking them on your calendar isn't just about stopping other people from maybe booking a call or a meeting during those windows. It's about you seeing, recognizing, and honoring that you need hours to be offline. So some calendars and even task management programs or communication platforms like Slack have built-in functions that set your time zone and working hours for you. So you can let people know when you are or not available. So today, go ahead and look into the advanced settings on any of those calendar or communication programs you use and see if that's something you can do. Set the office hours in your calendar. But let's face it, you can get that done. The hard part is you actually need to stick to them. Start work at the same time every day. Stop work at the same time every day. This routine, this new commitment to working hours is going to help you maximize productivity during your on hours because you know that there's a stop time. And let's face it, we all need to stop with a, I'll just do it after dinner. No more procrastinating. No more putting stuff off until later in the day because enjoying a meal and conversation with your family or unwinding to your favorite album before bed, those activities are just as important as work. 
maybe even more important. So carving out your working hours is not just about maximizing productivity on the job. It's also about maximizing time for you. So as you look ahead to next week, begin implementing office hours. See what that does for you. All right, number three, time blocking. Okay, so in addition to your working hours being set, we have got to set up how we use those hours, right? So one of my personal biggest productivity hacks is time blocking. And that just means creating blocks of time in your day for specific tasks and then sticking to them. So a lot of people in a lot of industries have fallen in what's into what I call the first responder trap. I've been saying this for years. I have been guilty of it at times. And what that means is they sit on email all day long. They wait on communications, they send notes and follow-ups, and they respond to an email legitimately the second it comes into their inbox. And they never get anything done. They are just constantly responding over and over again. We have got to learn to work smarter. And my tip for that is time blocks creating windows of time dedicated to addressing specific tasks. So let's talk about this email conundrum. Set an hour at the top of every morning to read and respond to emails. And if you have an email heavy job or a customer service job where you really need to be available, set aside another 30 minutes after lunch and then another hour near the end of the day. That's email. A note can wait for a few hours for you to read and respond to it. Trust me. I know a lot of people have anxiety around this, but let's create an environment of expectations where you'll get back to somebody in a business day, but you need time to actually do your job. And your job is not only email. So what I want you to do is try to block an hour or more for your complex projects, right? So maybe you set aside a two hour dedicated window to balance your budget for the month or three hours in the afternoon to develop a sales brochure that you really need to get done or maybe one hour to complete follow-up calls with key clients. And this doesn't just have to apply to the big stuff. Time blocking can really serve you in terms of getting small tasks done. So you have a job where there's a series of small tasks you need to knock out every day or maybe one day a week. And that could be sending meeting invites, approving expense reports, or submitting invoices on behalf of your team, whatever it is. Set aside one hour to knock out all those small tasks at once. Make the list of the small tasks you need to get done and prioritize them. And then in that hour, shut down everything else and just check those off the list. The key here is just creating physical blocks of time on your calendar for accomplishing these tasks. And then when that time hits, actually turn off or turn away from your email, silence your cell phone, your social media alerts, and just focus on getting that job done. By implementing this method, I think you'll see that you actually will start to cross off way more items on your to-do list. And with that, you're going to feel more accomplished, definitely more focused, and more confident. Now, another tip here is when it comes to creating these time blocks on your calendar, I really encourage you to create a schedule of what tasks you're going to do by day and then repeat that every week. So for example, maybe you work in sales. So in this imaginary example, you're going to set aside Monday to just cultivate your lead list. And then Tuesday is your outreach day. Wednesday is your proposal day where you're drafting all of the sales pitches that you're going to get out to these prospective clients. And then Thursday is about follow-ups with existing clients and client check-ins. 
And Friday is about your projections, catching up on internal communications, and planning for the week ahead. Creating a pattern for what tasks you do on certain days actually helps your brain know what to expect and helps you mentally prepare to get the job done. And I know this could look different for everyone. It does look different for everyone. Some of us can do way more time blocking than others, and that's okay. Do what you can to plan ahead and schedule your time blocks and tasks on the days and times that best serve your business. So for me, to give you another example, I really try to only take coaching calls on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That means on Monday, I can actually work on client projects and plans and get myself ready for our sessions later in the week. I also take my new business calls on Monday because that actually gets me excited and energizes me for the week ahead. Then on Wednesdays, I write and record this podcast for you. And I say Friday, the end of the week, for really kind of what I call my housekeeping. I update all my business finances, I make sure invoices are generated, submitted, and paid, and I forecast upcoming expenses and earnings, right? And then I take the second half of my Friday and I work on marketing, planning, and goal setting. Friday is housekeeping. It's actually one of my favorite days because I end the week feeling way on top of everything. And putting time blocking in place is gonna help you do the same and help you fight that fatigue of, oh, what do I do now? It's gonna help you better manage that overwhelm that creeps up. And honestly, that all kind of brings me to number four on our list and my favorite time block of the day, so much so that it gets its own number on this list. And that is the to-do list. I know, right? The to-do list. But listen, hear me out. So I'm really big into writing things down. If I don't write it down, oftentimes I lose track of it. So you're going to find me writing as we talk, writing during meetings, writing notes as I record the show right now. (laughs) It's just how my brain works. And honestly, one of the most powerful tools I've discovered in keeping myself organized, motivated, and focused is the to-do list. I've even got my husband, who's a complete creative brain. We're very different. I've got him focusing his big ideas and creative projects in the form of a to-do list, and it's really helped him stay on track. So if I can get you to do any single thing from today's podcast, I hope it is this. Set up a time block on your calendar to tackle your to-do list. I want you to set a daily calendar reminder for 15 minutes before your work hour ends. So at the end of the day, and use those last 15 minutes to take inventory of what you've accomplished and what you need to tackle tomorrow. And put those things you need to tackle tomorrow in the form of your to-do list. Now you can do this in a notebook, physically writing it down. You can do it on a post-it. Or you can use the notes tab right on your laptop. However you work, it doesn't matter, but write down the work you need to to get done and then prioritize it. What do I need to do first? What is most urgent? And what's gonna make the biggest impact? So every day, at the end of your day, I want you to use the last 15 minutes to time block out making a to-do list while your brain is still fully invested in everything going on. That's why I want you to do this at the end of the day. I want you to update your to-do list and set yourself up for success the next day. Because once you have that to-do list updated, look at the planned time blocks. Make sure you've created the right space to get the work done. And if you haven't, just adjust it. But what you're going to be able to do is hit the ground running when you wake up, when you only have that one cup of coffee in you. There's no overthinking, where do I start? Where do I dig in? Because you've already done the work. And you know, If there are tasks on that to-do list that you know you won't be able to accomplish the next day for whatever reason, 
Just take that moment to determine what is the realistic timeline for this task? How can I create a new time block on my calendar to get it done? And then who do I need to inform that the timeline has shifted? So that's it. 15 minutes at the end of every day. Get focused, prioritize those to-dos, and set yourself up for success. Cool. Okay, number five. Create an actual workspace. So many of us are trapped in tiny spaces with multiple people right now. We're juggling work, virtual learning, childcare, all on top of one another. It is a lot. So if you are feeling cramped and crowded and distracted, one way to help you kind of settle that storm is to designate a work area just for you. It's not too late to do it. We still have five months left. So this doesn't mean you need a separate room all to yourself. That's not realistic for a lot of people. If you have that, awesome. But if you don't, it could literally be the end of your dining table or a corner of the living room. Whatever it is, claim it now as your kingdom and make it a space where your work happens. We really need to transition away from working on the couch, working on the bed, or the kitchen island if we want to get re-engaged and motivated for this last stretch of work from home. And when we're in the kitchen, on the bed, on the couch, that's where all the distraction happens. That's where the lines between work and home get really blurry. So let's make a space and make it a happy one. Make sure there's good light. If you don't have a window nearby, grab a lamp, plug it in. Add a plant. Stock up on the supplies you need, like pens, pencils, notepads, post-its, noise-canceling headphones, or earbuds. Whatever you need, make sure you have a comfy chair and a soft rug under your feet. Now, once you get the corner set up, I want you to place your laptop there and leave it there. When work ends, the laptop stays. And you know, it's interesting. I've seen some people on social media, I'm sure you've seen this too, where a whole family is sitting at their dining room table, but they're actually using cardboard to designate their own individual spaces, kind of creating like a cubicle around themselves, even for their kids that are doing remote learning. And I love that. That's super creative. That is doing the same thing. It's declaring this is my space for when I'm productive and I need to work. And this is just for me. And that's what this is about. The key here is it's space just for you. And that space is just for work. You're not going to eat your meals there. You're not going to play with your kid there. This is where you come to hunker down, focus and get work done. So today, or maybe Sunday as you head into the new week. I want you to find your designated workspace and set up a really happy place, a desk with a chair and a spot for your laptop and whatever else you need, and this is your new office. Okay, cool, number six, mind your meetings. This one is all about being mindful of what should be on Zoom versus a call versus an email versus an IM. So guys, as we enter this final stretch of working from home, let's collectively agree to be thoughtful about the best way to communicate. Before all of this, we did not expect every conference call to be on video. Like, why does it have to be on video now? Why has video chat become our default form of communication? And look, there are lots of benefits to being on a video call when you're working with a team, trying to solve a problem, or even presenting work to clients or your boss. Video conferencing is awesome for that. But let's all agree that being on video has its setbacks. I don't know about you, but being on video day make video all day makes me feel like I'm always on. 
And video meetings make it really hard to kind of pause and ask clarifying questions. So sometimes people leave feeling unfulfilled or maybe that they don't have clear direction. And also like, let's not be so silly as to omit the fact that having to see your little video reflection in that box on the screen is exhausting and distracting. And the amount of work that goes into setting up a virtual meeting, comparing calendars, cleaning up your desktop for that screen share, (laughs) preparing visual documents because it's now a visual meeting, and then finding a bone to give your dog so he doesn't bark for the next 30 minutes, it is a lot. And let's not even start on the technical issues. If I honestly hear you're on mute or I think we've lost you one more time on a Zoom call, I might scream. So can we all agree to take a minute and strategically think through our needs before setting up that next video call? Would you be better served to pick up the phone and call a single person versus asking them to hop on video? Or could you craft a succinct email that tells your team the plan or the action steps with your expectations for timing? Or could you literally just send a Slack or an IM to your work channel with an update? Let's think about how we can all streamline all of our communications across the board to be more succinct, more direct, more impactful. And honestly, let's get clear on details and expectations. Like start your email with, this is what I need and this is the timeline. And let's be considerate of people's time and mental health. Updates do not need to be full conversations. They do not need to be video calls. So I want to issue a challenge to all of us, myself included, for the next week. Like, let's all actively transition at least one video meeting we've set up into either a one-to-one phone call or written communication. I guarantee we have at least one call on each of our calendars right now that does not need to be there. So take inventory. Give it a look. Pick the one. Give it a try. Let me know how it actually works out for you. Did you find it freeing? Did you get time back? Was transitioning to a call or an email just as productive as you thought a video call could be? I bet it will be, but I'm curious to hear how that works for you. All right, number seven, create boundaries with the people in your home. Oh boy. So similar to how you've set hours for work and created space dedicated to do that work, There really is one more boundary that you're going to need to tend to here, and that's setting expectations with the other people in your home. So whether that's a roommate or if you're one of the many people who are juggling kids at home for virtual learning, well, first, God bless you. But second, know that I understand this is a really hard one to manage. And also, if you have a spouse that's also working from home, so there's two of you and then children, oh boy, it's even harder, right? So you're going to really need to collaborate on schedules every day. Your time blocks are going to need to include when your spouse has a meeting that they need privacy and quiet for so that you can be on call for the kids. And your time blocks will also need to include virtual learning windows and then those moments where you need to keep an eye on the kiddos for whatever reason. Maybe it's lunchtime, snack time, prepping for nap time. And look, this is not easy, but let me tell you, as someone who's managing this myself, I actually have an 18-month-old at home, you are doing great. Just by doing your best, you are doing great. 
So while there are some boundaries, like having to adapt to the needs of everyone in your household, that these boundaries might feel forced. Some boundaries do. I also want to remind you that it's really important for you to reinforce the expectation for your own time blocks where you need to focus on getting your work done. You can't just honor everyone else's time blocks and not tend to your own. So what I want you to do is tell your family or tell your roommate or whoever you share a space with about the windows in your day that are most important for you to be focused on work. And lay out the expectation that during that time, you need to not be disturbed. You're not available for snacks, for show and tell, or for help finding something that you know is on the counter and he just can't see. This is your window for focusing. And I really think that the best way to manage this is to create a daily schedule in a common area where you can map out the family time blocks, the collective time blocks by the day. And every single person in your household needs to have their own focus times, times where no one else can bother them. Like really, let's make it a family affair. And let's make the idea of boundaries for being productive and something that can apply to everyone, right? It's not just about your boundaries, but let's teach our kids that this hour you've set aside to do school, no one's going to bother you because you need to focus and get the project done. And then let's update the calendar in the common area every night for the day before, right? And then the next morning when everyone's waking up and having breakfast, review it as a family again. Remind everyone, here's all the stuff we're going to accomplish today. Here are all of our time blocks. And more importantly, these are those windows where we're not going to bother one another because we need to focus and get work done. By making this a recurring theme and conversation with your household and setting boundaries for yourself and one another, you're going to see everyone begin to respect them a little bit more. The kids will get it. You and your husband now have a planned conversation about how you honor each other's work schedules and how you collaborate to make sure that they're complementary and not conflicting. You and your roommate now know who needs to be with the pretty background for their Zoom meeting and you can trade spaces as you need to or you can understand that you're both not going to be on Zoom at the same time. Whatever it is, whoever is in your house, schedule a time to review a collective public calendar and really honor each other's time blocks. Boundary setting. It helps. It really does. All right, guys, the last one, number eight. I call this one, water your plants. Yep, water your plants. So have you looked up over the past year and noticed a plant dying in the window? (laughs) You're not alone. I just watered one today. I don't know if that he stands a chance, but I tried. Guess what? That plant is actually a giant real life metaphor for how a lot of us are doing. We're still standing, but we are not feeling our best. And we all need to collectively remember to water the plants and to drink more water ourselves and to step outside and go for that walk and to eat a good breakfast and to play music that makes us happy call your friend and laugh. We all need to carve out space between the work, between the responsibilities of home, between the struggle to find that balance and make time to care for ourselves. Your mental and physical health 
is the most important thing for you to block time for. You need to create time, space, and boundaries to care for yourself so that you can care for others, so that you can feel motivated to actually do your job, so that you can feel focused when you're on the clock, so you can get stuff done, so that you can keep kicking ass at work and in life. So that's number eight. Maybe the most important tip for upping your work from home game. Don't forget to water the plants. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm actually feeling excited to revamp the way I dive into next week. A lot of these were helpful reminders for me. And talking about this today with you guys has made me really more aware of the areas that I can refresh and just recommit to. And I hope you're feeling that way too. And I also want to remind you guys, just take a minute, that if you turned in last week, we actually went over five super easy things you can do to level up your resume today. And if you missed it, check it out because it's an awesome lesson on how to transform your resume, whether you're looking for a job or not. But anyway, I want to remind you that I made my resume mini course available for free this month. And it walks you through those five key steps and contains bonus real world examples of job titles, bios, tips for writing and proofing your own resume. So go snatch that up before the month ends. It's free right now through the end of April. Just go to tessawolf.com and click on Virtual Coaching Center. Okay, so something I do every episode is I take a real life question from you and I answer it. And today's question comes from a friend of mine who's actually going to remain anonymous, but you should all know that she is wonderful and super smart and really great at her job. But her question is, how do I address areas I know I need to get better in while I'm completing a self-evaluation at work? This is a good one, right? So first, I just want to say, I think it's really awesome to showcase that you are self-aware, that you understand that there are opportunities for growth. And as someone who has managed hundreds of people and coached loads of more people on top of that, let me tell you, it is really challenging to work with someone who is not aware of their opportunities for growth. And a manager would probably be disappointed if there was an obvious area that you could improve upon and you didn't acknowledge it in the review. So you're approaching it in the right way. Good for you for knowing that there's an area you can get better in. And I do think you can absolutely put this in your self-evaluation without calling it out as a weakness or making it seem like a bigger deal than it is. So my advice for how to do this is to focus on positivity and proactivity in your answer. Something like, while I have been delivering great value to our projects in the areas of ABC, as evidenced by the feedback we received from our clients, I am really eager to be able to provide even more value. So I'm going to work on learning more about X. And then I would say, go that extra mile by actually writing out how you're going to learn more. So show your manager that you are proactively going to improve your already killer skill set. And that's gonna be either tapping a team member who's an expert in the area to teach you the ropes, or maybe doing some self-education through reading, research, or coursework, whatever it is. Say, I am lending value and doing a great job, and because I wanna do more, for these clients or for the company, for the bottom line, for the team, I am going to work to learn more about X. What you're showing is a positive outlook 
in that I'm committed to doing great work and delivering value, and a proactive approach in that I've already identified ways that I can learn more and improve. So whatever it is, the key here, guys, is always to phrase it in the positive. Proactive positivity. That will get it across. Okay, friends, I would love to hear from you. Are these episodes helpful? Are you learning? Are there areas in your work world that you think I can help you with? Feel free to drop me a line at connectedtessawolf.com or message me on Instagram at the Yes Pile Podcast. And your questions today become tomorrow's episodes, so please do reach out and let me know I can help. And speaking of tomorrow's episodes, the next episode coming out next week, it's a good one. So we are going to talk about how to have difficult conversations at work. Those dreaded, challenging, and intimidating conversations. I am going to share tips for how to prepare, how to navigate, and how to turn these difficult moments into productive ones. So be sure to tune in for that. Before we go, if today was at all helpful for you and you learned something from the work we did together, please do me a favor and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling extra inspired and generous, please give us a rating and review. For more career advice, inspiration, and fun, follow us on Instagram at the Yes Pile Podcast. Until next time, cheers, everyone.